Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Believe in OK State podcast. I am your host, Megan Robinson, and this is a place for everything OSU athletics. Week one football is finally here. We kick off this Thursday night, 6 p.m. in Boom Pickens Stadium. But before we get into the season preview, offense, defensive breakdowns, I want to introduce myself to you guys. You're going to be spending the season with me, so I figure let you get to know me a little bit here. So as I said, my name is Megan Robinson. I am currently a multimedia reporter producer for Inside OSU, the official the official digital platform of Oklahoma State University. I came from the East Coast, born and raised outside of Philly, went to school in Boston, spent 10 years after college working in production at ESPN, where I produced features for NFL Countdown, College game day, including a piece on Oklahoma State's Chuba Hubbard in 2019. I actually came to Stillwater for that piece. And I was talking to someone in athletics and said, I could never live here. It's too rural for me. Fast forward to 2020, I was looking for on-air jobs, applied to one at Oklahoma State, thinking I wouldn't even get a call for it. And here I am two years later living in Stillwater. So that's a little bit on my background. I'm so excited to be hosting this podcast and getting back into my athletics background a little bit here and let's just get to it because who wants to hear about me when you can hear about Oklahoma State's 2022 football team. So before we get into this season, I want to talk a little bit about how last season ended. We finished last season 12 and 2, 7th in the AP rankings. Awesome finish, top 10, amazing comeback win against Notre Dame in that Fiesta Bowl. 21 points down had an awesome second half to seal the victory. We start this season ranked 11 in the AP poll and third in the big 12 behind Baylor and OU in both of those, but I'm not concerned. 11 is right in the middle. It's also my favorite number. Well, it's not in the middle. It's in the top half of the top 25. So I'll take it shows some room for improvement, but also, you know, you're right on that cusp of the top 10. And of course you always want to shoot for the top 10. I'm liking where we're sitting. I do know why we might be there. There's some question marks. I was a little surprised that Oklahoma was above us because I feel like they have a ton of question marks. Both their quarterbacks left, their head coach left, but that's okay. I'm not going to stress about them, you know, because as of right now, we're the defending bedlam champs. So that's really what matters. Coach Gundy is back for his 18th season here in Stillwater. He was named to the Dodd Trophy watch list this preseason. He's only one of two Big 12 coaches on that list. Also, Gundy is looking for win 150. That could come on Thursday night, and that would make him the fourth active coach in FBS with that many wins at the current school. Not if, but when he gets that win, because he will get that win this season. He will join the company of Kirk Ferentz at Iowa. Nick Saban at Alabama and Dabo Sweeney at Clemson. So that's pretty incredible company to be within. We're looking out closely. Hopefully Gundy gets that win on Thursday night. 18th season here at Oklahoma State. He has led the Cowboys to a bowl game in every year except his first in 2005, which means they have had 16 straight winning seasons and 16 straight bowl appearances. And since 2010, They've had seven seasons with 10 plus wins. Overall, they're averaging a little under 10 wins per season, which to me is incredible. I mean, I I am not from Oklahoma. I grew up in the Northeast. College football is not as big of a deal up there as it is down here. So I really did not have any ties to Oklahoma State until I moved down here two years ago. And I followed Oklahoma State because it was part of my job to keep tabs on college football, follow the storylines. But 
I was not looking at all the statistics every week, knowing Gundy's history. And I mean, the man knows how to win. You can't argue that. And you hear all the rumblings, good, bad, indifferent, ugly around Stillwater about whether or not Gundy should be here. Personally, who else would you get? You know, I mean, one thing that he's missing on his resume to me is a national championship. But if you look back to last season with the Fiesta Bowl, okay, let's say that we get that final play. We don't lose Big 12 championship by inches. Instead, we get the touchdown play. We win. We make it to the top four since he's number five outside looking in. We'd have to play Georgia, I think, if we were four. We'd have to play Georgia or Alabama, depending on how everything shook out. I don't see last year's team beating Georgia or Alabama in the CFP. I just don't see it. So my question to you is, would you rather go to the semifinals and lose or go to the Fiesta Bowl and win? I personally would rather go to the Fiesta Bowl and not only win, but beat Notre Dame, who is the biggest brand in college football. I think that win did so much for this program. I don't necessarily want to say it did more than a national championship because the national championship is what everyone shoots for. So I don't think anything can do more than a national championship. However, I think the Fiesta Bowl did more than a CFP appearance. That's just my opinion. Some other players coming back this season uh, four were named to the Reese's Senior Bowl watch list. Spencer Sanders, Tyler Lacey, Brock Martin, and Jason Taylor. Really shouldn't be any surprises with those. But speaking of Spencer Sanders, he has been named to almost every watch list. He, he might have been named to every watch list he's been eligible for. I honestly haven't gone through and looked at all the possible watch lists. But he is currently on the Davey O'Brien, Maxwell, Walter Camp, Earl Campbell, Manning Award, and Johnny Unitas Golden Arm Award. So the expectations for quarterback Spencer Sanders this season are so high. And that gets us into my little preview of the Oklahoma State offense, because I think that Spencer Sanders is the X factor. And I he's a redshirt senior, fourth-year starter. He has the experience to do well. He has the third most wins as a QB at Oklahoma State, and he's nine away from breaking the record. So he could very well end this season the winningest QB in Oklahoma State history. Last year, he was named first team all-conference for the Big 12, which, to be honest, surprised me a little bit, but he's only the second quarterback in OSU history to get that recognition. Now, why is he my X factor, my sort of question mark for the offense? I want to look at the Big 12 title game last year. He threw four picks in that game. I'm not going to get into all the semantics. We're not going to spend a ton of time looking back. I want to spend more time looking for, but he threw four picks in that game. Fast forward about a month to the Fiesta Bowl. Has an okay first half. And then, but he ends up at that game. He ends up throwing four touchdowns and is named the MVP of that game. So my point in bringing up these two games is the consistency. Those two games demonstrate his inconsistencies. And I feel like when I had watched last year in the games, I feel like there'd be plenty of times when he'd be pressured in the pocket and looked a little panicked, looked a little scared. Now, listen, I'm not saying that I could play better because I could not. 
I'm not saying I would want to be chased by 300 pound linemen and stay poised because I honestly, I could not do that. So I'm not going to sit here in front like I could be better or that it's easy to stay poised in the pocket. That being said, I think that last year as a third year starter in the same system, you need to show a little bit better presence in the pocket and play a little less scrambled and a little less, I don't want to say scared. I think that's too strong of a word, but a little anxious. I, so I think that Spencer, if he can step up and play to his fullest potential, listen, Gundy called him a magician in the offense. He's on all these watch lists. So people see potential in him. You know, he came, he was on the first team big 12 last year. People see the glimpses of good in Spencer Sanders. And I don't want to sit here trashing him. I don't want to sit there and trash the quarterback. Cause that's, I, I don't think that he is a trash quarterback. I don't. I think he has a lot of potential. He's just inconsistent. So I think that if he can rein in those inconsistencies and play more consistent for four quarters, then the offense is going to look really, really good. Uh, Casey Dunn, the offensive coordinator, spoke to the media last week, and this is what he had to say about the biggest change he's seen in Spencer Sanders since they first started working together. The first thing you would say is maturity, but all, all quarterbacks get more mature as they go through, and, and he's certainly been here long enough. Um, right now, it's, it's, he's comfortable, you know, and, and it's kind of a word that you don't want to use often because you want guys feeling a little uncomfortable in order to raise their bar, bar all the time uh, to higher and higher levels. But he's comfortable, so he's playing smooth, and he's playing fast, and he knows what is he knows when the formation's not right to run a certain play. He'll get receivers in position and you know, he'll make sure that the offensive line is set the right way. And, and all those little things matter because you know the whole thing of coach on the field, he really has become that for us. I think one of the other things that's going to help Spencer Sanders is that their offensive line is one of the more experienced position groups on Oklahoma State. They only lost two keys. I don't want to say only because offensive line is, I feel like it's a very undervalued position. You know, offensive line is everything to a football team. They lost two key starters last year, but they have a lot of vets coming back. So I think that that will help in terms of cohesiveness. They know each other's playing styles and just protecting Sanders a little bit more and making gaps for running backs. Which leads me to our running backs. And how are we going to replace Jalen Warren? Jalen Warren went up to Pittsburgh. He's now in the NFL with the Steelers. He averaged almost 20 carries a game last season and ran for 1,216 yards and 11 touchdowns. He was by far the workhorse back last year. So this year, the question for the running backs is who carries that load? Dominic Richardson is right now the guy that's going to fill in, not fill in, who's going to step up for Jalen Warren since Jalen Warren's no longer here. He's on Dominic Richardson is on the Doak Walker watch list. So he's definitely people are respecting his play. Uh, the the question marks that, you know, I was reading something about Gundy talking about Richardson and his abilities, and he's not concerned about his talent. He's not about, worried about his skill set. He's worried about can he handle that workload? 20 carries a game is a solid amount of carries, especially when you look at last season. Last season, Richardson ran for 373 yards on 79 carries. However, he only had three games in which he carried the ball more than 10 times. So in only three games, 
with 10 plus carries, whereas Jalen Warren was averaging almost double that for 14 games. So that's really where the question mark comes in with running back. Ken Richardson, is he durable enough to handle first, second, third downs, 20 plus carries a game? The other player to keep an eye out for is freshman Ollie Gordon. He had a really impressive spring game, and this is insane. He is 6'1 and 211 pounds. That is not running back physique. That is like borderline linebacker physique. So this kid, people are very impressed with his size. They impressed at spring game. So that's my other player to keep your eye out on. And finally, the wide receiver group. Uh, they lost Tay Martin to the NFL as well. Tay was easily the leading receiver last season, over 1,000 yards. And second to him was Brennan Presley. Brennan Presley ended last season with 50 catches for 619 yards and five touchdowns. I think Brennan Presley knows that he needs to step up and be a leader. And I do think that he has the potential to do it. His brother Braylon is also here, who's also a wide receiver. So I would absolutely love to see a little BP, little BP tandem at the wideout position. And I think the thing with Brennan Presley is he shows up in big games. If you just look at Bedlam last year, start early in the second half, he had a 100-yard kickoff return touchdown in Bedlam, which is the biggest game that Oklahoma State, Oklahoma State plays every year. So I think that he's shown that he can rise to the occasion on the biggest stage. So I'm expecting a really big breakout year for Brennan Presley. Coming up in just after this break, we are going to get in the defensive side of the ball, my favorite side of the ball. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Believe in OK State podcast. I am your host, Megan Robinson. And before the break, we talked a little bit about the Oklahoma State offense, but now we're going to get into the defensive side of the ball, my favorite side of the ball, I play defense in every sport I ever played, so I am very much biased on this opinion. But let's break down Oklahoma State's defense this season. We're going to start at the top. Jim Knowles left last after last season for Ohio State. He left after building a top five defense, but he's replaced by Derek Mason. Derek Mason has a great defensive mind. He was at Auburn for the 2021 season, and the Tigers saw big improvements in many statistical categories under Mason. So if there's anyone who can take the top five defense and maintain the standard, I truly, truly believe that it's Derek Mason. That is something that I, I have faith in him. I've been a fan of him since he was at Bandy. I think the defense is good in good hands with coach Mason. The question mark for me on the defense is what to do at the linebacker position. They lost both starting linebackers, All-American Malcolm Rodriguez and Devin Harper to the NFL. I think that those guys were the heart and soul of the Cowboy defense. They were both voted team captains. They combined for 226 tackles. So they really made their presence known. And I think that not only are people going to have to step up to fill those shoes on the field, but also in the locker room to lose two captains. Those are two leaders. So who's going to step up in the locker room? And players, Mason Cobb is the only returning player at the linebacker position for the Cowboys with starting experience. The most experienced player on the roster right now is actually a JUCO transfer, Xavier Benson. He's a red shirt junior. He started his career at Texas Tech and then transferred to Tyler Junior College. So he has starting experience, but he doesn't have experience at Oklahoma State. So could he be a guy to sort of step up, take a leadership role? for the linebacker position group. 
one position that I am not worried about is definitely the defensive line. This defensive line is stacked. They have so much depth. And this is what Derek Mason had to say is about his D linemen. You know what? We just want fresh horses in the game. I mean, like for us, uh, we, we, we talked about it. You know, it's goons, goblins, and gremlins. That's, that's, that's how we talk about ourselves, goons, goblins, and gremlins. And nobody really cares, man, who's, who's the first guy. Everybody wants to be a guy. And so with that, you know, everybody's expected to you know, play their role, do their job, and that, that D-line rotation is going to come in big for us. We need it. Coming back, you have Colin Oliver, Tyler Lacey, Brock Martin, Brendan Evers, all back this year. Lacey, Martin, and Evers combined for 79 career starts. They are an outstanding experienced group. And then you look at Oliver, who's only a sophomore. He had an absolutely incredible true freshman season last year in 2021. He led the Big 12 and ranked seventh in FBS in sacks. That's crazy to me to be a freshman and be ranked seventh in sacks. Those among many other accomplishments, earned him All-American honors, and he was also voted the Big 12 Defensive Freshman of the Year. So getting Oliver back is huge. He and Brock Martin were also named to the the, the Nagurski watch list. Martin's coming off his best season ever, 41 tackles, 14 tackles for a loss, and nine sacks. So while there might be a little bit of uncertainty at the linebacker position, there is definitely not uncertainty with that defensive line. If I were an opposing offensive line, I'd be a little scared of that group. Another position that's a little up in the air is the defensive backs. They lost both all big 12 starting corners, Christian Holmes to the NFL and Jark Bernard Converse to the transfer portal. And they also lost a majority of their safeties, including all American Colby Harvell Peel, who's also in the NFL and starters, Trey Sterling and Tanner McAllister. Sterling to the NFL and McAllister followed Jim Knowles up to Ohio state. However, Jason Taylor, the second is back. He was honorable mention all big 12 last year. He said after the bowl game that he felt like the vets kind of disappeared because they transferred or started training for the NFL and he, that he needs to step up as a leader. He also expects safety Thomas Harper to step up. Thomas Harper is brothers with, now NFL linebacker Devin Harper, and he thinks that Thomas is poised for a pretty solid season. He has that dog in him, and he's a student of the game, so we're looking for, for him to have a big season. You know, we count on him to do well as well. He's a, a, a win first, like a, a man who thinks he can win regardless, and, you know, they say the man who thinks he can win is already a winner. So those are my thoughts on the defense. You can agree, disagree. But that's just what I think. We're going to take a quick break right now. And when we come back, I'm previewing Central Michigan. I see a, uh, a tough football team. Um, they've had a few transfers. Um, if just watching last year, highly competitive, very physical up front. I see a lot of Mac football because they play during the week. So you guys are probably like I am late at night. You're flipping. You're like, I'm going to watch a little ball. Uh, you know, so you get to watch a game where it's raining and it's 30 degrees um, on a Tuesday night or whatever. And I've watched a lot of it. And they are exactly what, um, from a distance, I see with uh, – you need that? 
up here or something. Yeah, I was gonna uh, that with that conference is they're physical up front. They're tough. Um, their back is physical. He's part of what they are. Um, head coach is a, a good offensive guy. He's a good play caller. Um, from an outside looking in, they believe in toughness. Quarterback is athletic. Um, had really, really good pass rush last year. Um, they don't try to do too much, in my opinion. They're good at what they do. I am sure that Mike Gundy is not going into this game taking the Chippewas lightly. I think he's probably reminding all of his players, even though none of them are here in 2016, about what happened in 2016. If you're a Cowboy fan, it was a wild yet heartbreaking ending. And I would not be surprised if there are reminders all over their facility reminding them of that loss. So they take this team seriously. Yes, it's a MAC team. Yes, people think less of the non-Power 5 schools, but I think based on that bite from Coach Gundy that he's not taking this opponent lightly and he doesn't expect a walkover win. They got to go out. They got to play tough. They got to fight for it. And I think that he's going to drill it into his players' heads this week that we cannot take these guys lightly or we'll have a repeat of 2016. And for those of you who might not remember 2016, I'm going to break it down for you. There are four seconds left. Cowboys were up 27 to 24. And they, it's fourth down. So they can, Mason Rudolph decides to throw the ball in the air, thinking that if he pitches it high enough, the clock will run out, time will expire, Cowboys will ex escape with a win. Unfortunately, he threw it, no receivers were in the area, and he was flagged for intentional grounding. According to the rules, or so we thought, we will get to that in a little bit. The Chippewas were then awarded a one untimed down from their own 49. Quarterback Cooper Rush throws a 42-yard pass to receiver Jesse Kroll, who lateraled trailing receiver Corey Willis as he's being tackled. As Kroll's being tackled, he pitches to Corey Willis, who runs across the field to the other side of the end zone and beats the Oklahoma State defender in for the touchdown. Chippewas would go on to beat the Cowboys. 32-27 in a heartbreaking, wild fashion. The drama is that that play should have never happened. According to the NCAA football rule book, in Rule 3, Section 2, Article 3-1, a person, a period shall be extended for an untimed down if a penalty is accepted for a live ball foul. Exception, Rule 10-2-5A, the period is not extended if the foul is by the team in possession and the statement of the penalty includes a loss of down. After the game, the officials admitted their mistake that the Chippewas never should have gotten that one on time down. The game should have ended on the loss of down penalty and the pokes would have won. However, that's not how it played out. Cowboys lost. Oklahoma State fans were heartbroken. I will also say that, again, did not go here, did not have any affiliation to this school up until two years ago. So I don't bleed orange like some people do. I am definitely a fan. I enjoy going to games. I want to see my Cowboys win. But I am pretty unbiased and realistic in my reactions. That being said, a lot of people I talk to, they you kind of, you know, you bring up Central Michigan from two years ago and they kind of just put their head down and shake their head. And I will say, though, that a lot of the fans also follow that and say that was a tough loss, but we never should have been in that position. We never should have had the game that close in the first place. So I respect that. In honor of such a wild ending, I thought, why not do a countdown of the top five craziest endings, in my opinion, starting October 30th, 2015. Couldn't find an official name of this game, so I'm going to call it Lateral Fun. 
Miami's trailing Duke. Duke scores a touchdown and two-point conversion to go up 27-24 with six seconds left. They squib kick the kickoff to hopefully kill the clock. Instead, Miami uses eight laterals and covered 91 yards to score the game-winning touchdown with no time left. Eight laterals. That's crazy. There were some controversies on the play. Miami was, there was a penalty flag thrown on Miami. However, that was reversed. Touchdown stood. Miami went on to defeat Duke 30 to 27. Coming in at number four, the miracle in Jordan Hare. November 16th, 2013. Auburn was down 38-37 with 36 seconds left on the clock, fourth and 18. Mind you, they had a bigger lead early in the game that they blew. So this was a disaster from the start for Auburn. Down 38-37, 36 seconds left, fourth and 18. From deep in there, it was like at their 27, I think. Nick Marshall puts the ball up. It's tipped by two Georgia defenders into the hands of wide receiver Ricardo Lewis to complete a 73-yard touchdown Auburn would go on to win 43-38 over Georgia that year. Number three, fail to the victors. Really what I remember about this game is the reaction shot after the touchdown, but we'll get to that in just a second. October 17th, 2015. Michigan is up fourth and two with 10 seconds left. They're punting away to end the game. Their punter, Blake O'Neill, flubs the snap, and it is recovered by Michigan State Jalen Watts Jackson, who returns it 38 yards for the game-winning touchdown. And to make it even crazier, in that dog pile, after he scores the touchdown, he dislocates his hip. So that has to be one of the most painful touchdowns ever, but also, was it worth the dislocated hip? Because you defeated Michigan at Michigan, come from behind. And what I remember most about this game is that one Michigan fan in the stands after, just like this. I feel like that's one of those iconic college football reaction shots that just is kind of used forever and ever and ever. Coming in at number two, people might debate me on this one, but I think the whole scenario just makes it absolutely wild. So last season, November 13th, 2021, Kansas and Texas are in overtime in Austin. Texas scores on their first possession, meaning Kansas has to also score a touchdown to tie and continue the overtime periods. They decide to go for two. They score a touchdown. They decide to go for two. And Jared Casey caught the two-point conversion to win in overtime. First Jayhawks win in Austin ever. That, to me, is what makes it wild. Because how long have these schools been around? How long have they been playing? And that's their first win ever in Austin. Oh, and by the way, Jared Casey is like a walk-on freshman and becomes the unlikely hero. And even better, he got an NIL deal with Applebee's after that for the you pick two. And there's their catchphrase was something about like, you should always go for two. And I just think that that is brilliant marketing and just awesome for Jared Casey. I just love that story all around. Coming in at number one, I think this will, this one's going to be hard to top in the history of college football. I really don't see very many plays making ever beating this one for me personally. You can disagree, but that's my personal opinion. Auburn back on the charts at number one. 2013 was a wild year for Auburn. Pick six, November 30th, 2013, the Iron Bowl. Game tied at 28, and Alabama decided to go for a 57-yard field goal for the win with one second left. I don't know why you would do that with a college kicker, but you also don't really question Nick Saban with his record. Uh, Kick falls short. 
Auburn's Chris Davis is in the end zone, catches it nine yards deep and runs it 109 yards back for the game winning touchdown. This is one of those moments for me again, for me. I remember I was at home at my parents watching this game. And that's just one of those things where you're like, you just remember where you were for me. Again, the fact that this was the iron bowl, they could have gone just for overtime, taken an egg on for overtime. They go for the ballsy move, go for the field goal. Nope. Doesn't work out. I think the kick six will forever be one of the wildest and greatest plays in college football history. So there you have it. Those are my top five wildest moments in the last decade of college football. So as we wrap up episode one, figured we'd end with picks. So I have a very special guest who will be picking this season along with me. And he is my baby boy Bixby, my lab mix, my little angel pup. Love him. And he's going to pick this week's game before me. So we call this little segment Picks with Bix, where he decides who is going to win this week. So here we have it. Who does Bix go with? And because he is the goodest boy, he went with the pokes. I am also going to go with the pokes. I think that they have a lot riding on this game. I think that 2016 is going to be drilled into their head all week. And I really don't think they're going to lose. I'm going to take the Cowboys over the Chippewas. And I'm going to say the score is going to be 42 to 21. So that is my prediction. We will see next week if I am right. Fingers crossed. I at least get the W part right. Even if the score is way off, I'll just be happy as long as the Cowboys win. So I want to thank you all right now for joining me today and listening to me, listen to my thoughts on this season, on the players to watch. I'm really excited to be here with you all season long. Looking forward to it. My loyal and true listeners really appreciate you taking the time out of your morning, noon, night to spend with me and break down cowboy football. That's all I got for today. I will catch you next week. And of course, go Pokes. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.